come at you every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central to discuss maintaining forward progress in your flooring career. With me as usual is Mr. Daniel and Jose Gonzalez, although Jose is vacant at the moment. And we uh, have a special guest with us today, Emma. And Emma, I will not butcher your last name, so I'll let you say that here uh, during the introduction. But um, so thank you for joining us. We are um, really proud of what we've been able to put together here at the huddle. Um, as many of you know, last week we talked about the um, the show that we just got back from, and we had a lot of support from there, and it was really awesome to find out how many people actually watched the show. So uh, I want to thank our audience and everybody who joins and and finds the information valuable. If you do find this information valuable, we would appreciate a subscribe to our YouTube channel or a like, maybe a comment on one of the social channels that you're watching us on. And without further ado, today is about design and colors in commercial flooring. So many of us uh, help our clients um, select materials. And from a flooring contractor standpoint, I typically want to make sure that the performance and the uh, right product is in the right area. Um, but I am not a design expert and colors, and I'm... I'm really excited to kind of hear your take on that. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Emma. Emma, could you tell us a little bit about you and your company and what you guys are up to? Yeah. Um, thanks again so much for having me on today, Paul. It's been, um, it was a, a an honor to be asked, but um, I, so my name is Emma Schlittenhart, first of all, and I am an interior designer um, I also have my master's degree in architecture. So that is one thing that sort of separates me apart from a couple of the other designers, at least here in town. Um, and I own and operate an interior design studio called Heart Studio, um, H-A-R-D-T. It's the last five letters of my last name. Uh, the whole thing was obviously just a little too much. So we just stuck to the last part of my last name. And, uh, so we, we started, um, in 2020 amidst the COVID pandemic. Um, and I started as just myself and I have grown it to a team of four now. So it's myself and three others. Um, we offer everything from floor plan drawings. We do a lot of 3d renderings. Uh, we do finished selections. We do furniture selection. We do decorating and organization services as well. And, um, we work primarily on residential or commercial remodels. Um, I'd say it's about a 70, 30 split with residential being the majority of what we do. Um, and then I'm also in the process right now of opening up a showroom and we're going to be selling hard surfaces. So flooring, uh, backsplash cabinets, counters, things like that. Um, it's going in a, um, well-known area of our city here in Wichita, Kansas, and it's going to be called Bacote showroom. And it'll be a place where we, my team can go select our materials, of course, for clients, but then we will have a retail component as well. So we'll be open to the public, um, serving, you know, interior designers, builders, contractors, and then just the general public as well. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. What, what, uh, I got a couple questions, uh, from your intro 
you have a master's in architecture. Mm -hmm. What made you uh, decide to do that? That's pretty rare with designers. Yeah. Um, so I've always been, math has always been my favorite subject in school. And it was kind of a surprise to even me that I decided to go down a more creative path. Um, but I kind of found that passion in college and then got my, my bachelor's in interior design and then decided that I wanted to go do my master's. And there were actually a couple of different um, components that played into that. Um, the first one being that I'm really competitive and nobody in my family has a master's degree. And <laughs> my mindset is like, why not me? Right. And so it was only two more years on top of my other schooling and I did it all online. And so it was really like a, why not? Um, and then the second reason is I worked for an architect for a while, um, while I was doing my undergrad and he was really a big proponent of getting a degree in architecture of some sort. You know, he'd been through the 20, 2007 uh, housing market crash. He worked for a firm at the time. And he's like, the first people that got fired were all the interior designers. Um, so it kind of scared me, honestly, a little bit. But, you know, interior design is definitely a luxury service. And when the economy goes, that's just one of the first things that go. And so I wanted um, to obviously have a little bit of job security. And then I knew that it would also... Set, separate myself from the crowd and I would have um, the knowledge to do more than just pick out the pretty stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. What, what's um, last question here? What, what got you to want, how did you arrive at the decision to start your design studio and your, your showroom, I should say, and open it up to the public and, and kind of, you know, try to service not only general public, but also, you know, contractors and other designers. Mm -hmm. um, so with the design studio, being at home during 2020 and having a lot of spare time on my hands is kind of what prompted that decision. My husband is an entrepreneur and I was always jealous of his um, schedule, I guess. He, he was working <laughs> from home even before COVID. And I was like, I want to do that too, you know? So uh, when I got sent home during COVID, I was getting all my work done in two hours. Then we would go golfing for a couple of hours. And then I didn't know what to even do with the rest of my day, you know? So I started doing some um, freelance stuff, if you will, for friends and family members and just helping them out. And then my entrepreneurial husband was like, we got to make this into a business. We got to, we got to make this something. And um, I was really excited about it too. I mean, he definitely didn't force me or anything. He's, he's been a great support and a great help in all of that. And so we made it legit um, at that point. And then um, the reason for starting the showroom, of course, officing at home was not everything it was cracked up to be. I find it, um, I find it easy, but I find it hard to, um, and work at the end of the day. And so I wanted a place where my team could meet, um, you know, now that I have a team, it, it would be helpful to have a, an office ourselves. It would be helpful to have a conference room where we can take our clients and we can present to them their floor plans, their renderings and pull samples. Um, and then obviously there's a monetary component of it as well. Right now we're shopping everywhere else and and that's all dollars that we're giving um to somebody else and so being able to just have another uh income stream was looked like a good idea for me and hopefully it is um and then you know my goal with targeting other designers and contractors is just that i feel that i've been doing this long enough that i know what other designers want and need here in this market um 
one big example of that is, you know, how divided East and West Wichita are, right? Yeah. There's nothing, there's no showrooms on the East side of town, really. I mean, we've got a couple, but really most of them are, um, larger box chain stores. And if you want something besides that, there's not really a good option. Um, so that was one of the reasons that I put it where it was. And then also, I think that there's a need for that from a designer perspective, a nicer, smaller showroom. That's more boutique style, less, less is more. Um, we won't have a ton of stuff. We'll have a very limited selection and, um, we want to do a really great designer program to incentivize them to bring their clients in. Um, and, and then, yeah, um, just being in the location where we're at is what made us want to be open to the public because it's a big, like it's a strip center basically. So there's people walking back and forth, um, all the time, lots of restaurants in there and and other stuff. So. Well, awesome. Congrats on all that, by the way. Yeah. Thank you all. So guys, uh, when you, you are selecting, helping the client select flooring, Mm -hmm. uh, how often are you working with a designer? Um, very minimal actually. Um, yeah, let me, let me move this. Sorry. I was coughing earlier. So that's why I disappeared. came back. Um, so as far as working with a designer, very minimal. And, and the reason is, is that uh, most of the clients already have what they want picked out or they have something in mind. And like she said earlier, it's um, it's a luxury, right? And a lot of people are always trying to pinch those pennies, so to speak. But when you have uh, clients that don't have the time, um, they just want someone to make a decision because they can't make it in the house. That's when we run into it quite a bit. Um, and the designers we work with work out of other, other, uh, showrooms or they have their own. So it's really pretty easy. The the only questions we get is, will this perform? Yeah. This happen. And not a lot of them have the degree, uh, in architecture like she does. So I'm sure that she kind of already has a little bit of an upper hand on that because performance is key. I don't know. My buddy Zach is an architect and he told me that they don't know nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. No comment. Fortunately for, for, for us, uh, the designers that we do work with, we've, we've had a relationship for a very long time. Um, and they don't really have the best experiences with a lot of, uh, the trades, a lot of the flooring installers. Uh, it, that's the only one I can really relate to unless they vent, but, uh, and that led me to a question, actually, and I wanted to ask her is, like, how do you select your contractors? How do you build your team? What are you looking for? Um, and, and the reason I asked that is because we've been fortunate to keep getting repeat business. Like, they don't call anybody. They have a, a an install that has a level of difficulty. They already know who they're going to call. And I don't, th- those are some of the projects that I look forward to to doing because it's, it's not a race to the bottom. It's a, what is this going to cost? Yeah. Um, to answer your question on, uh, how do I pick my contractors? It's been a, that's probably been the hardest part of my job actually is finding the right contractor and getting them to stick around. Right. Um, either being willing to work with me or being willing to stick to this area Wichita. Um, but we, I mean, I went through probably one contractor every three months when I first got started. And Mm -hmm. I obviously, um, hold my people to very high standards. 
um, not only on the, the work that they do, but on their timelines and on their fairness with the clients, as far as, you know, things come up for additional, they want, you know, a change order, more money, things like that. Um, so I was pretty much going through a contractor every three months when I first started. And then I was fortunate enough about a year and a half ago to find a general contractor who reached out to me. And so it was a really good setup because I could test him out on his own projects. Right. So he reached out to me. He said, I need your help with design on these, these bathrooms. And I was able to help him out and kind of watch him from afar as I'm doing that and seeing how he treats his clients and how he, how he works, you know, how his, what his level of expertise is with everything. Um, and I've worked with him ever since. And to me, like he's why go find anybody else? He's great. So. Yeah, we, we've worked with, uh, multiple designers and designers reach out to us to, uh, you know, help them not only select product once they have a good color scheme going just to make sure that the right products are in the right area uh, from a performance standpoint, uh, but also to actually perform the work and, you know, bid the job. And um, a lot of times when you're working with designers, we try to encompass, uh, you know, really open up the lines of communication to understand their vision and, and, uh, you know, provide expertise where we have it. Uh, so let's move on to the meat and potatoes, which is kind of, we're curious on design trends and, you know, where where is design going? How can you help us to understand when we're showing clients, like, where is it all going? It seems, you know, we were so gray, black and white for that's what uh, I was gonna a decade say. or more. What happened and, to gray? What's that? That's what I was going to say. What happened to gray? Yeah. So, you know, I still see it, but it seems to be softening or, or, or um, maybe changing to more of a taupey color. I don't know. I, I just curious of um, not only where are the trends, but from your opinion, where do the trends start? Who starts these things? Where, who says, you know, gray's over, let's start something else. (laughs) That's a great question. Um, well, so first of all, the the way that I kind of collect my knowledge on what's what's trendy and what's not is I try to do a decent amount of traveling and seeing what's going on in other places. Um, I just recently judged the Parade of Homes in um, Tulsa, which is not that far away, but um, they actually have a lot of people coming in from California, similar to Texas. And so uh, a lot of the trends there kind of mimic what was happening on the coasts. And you'll always hear that trends start on the coast, whether that's interior design or clothing trends or even like graphic design. Um, You know, it always starts at the coast is what people say. And then it comes to us slowly. But Tulsa was a really good representation of what's happening on the coast because they have a lot of Californians there now. And so anyway, while we were there judging the Parade of Homes, um, I was actually very pleasantly surprised to see not a lot of gray. Um, like you said, Paul, it's there still. It is more muted. It is more beige influence. So it's more of a grayish, if you will. Um, but there was really, there was no gray flooring. There were not really any gray walls. Um, there was a little bit of gray cabinetry. Um, a little bit of um, maybe a lighter gray wall, but nothing, nothing dark at all. I mean, nothing like your shirt or, or darker gray. Um, 
there was a lot of color being used um, in the actual hard finishes of the homes. There was a lot in the cabinetry and on ceilings, in powder bathrooms, uh, tile in bathrooms, things like that, which was really exciting to see. Um, mostly the colors were like sage greens and um, there were a couple of almost uh, mauve colors that I saw. Oh no, yeah. uh -huh. I think it's coming back. <laughs> I don't know what color mauve is. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, you need to Google it. It's, it's something. <laughs> um, so, and then I just actually yesterday did the parade of homes in Wichita. So, you know, I'm comparing these two and I'm thinking to myself, is it going to be similar? Are we still way off? And actually we were, we were pretty spot on with what they're doing there. So, uh, um, in my opinion, that's kind of what the trends are now. I've seen it enough to know, that that's kind of where we're leaning. And then, you know, my clients, when I work with them, they're always giving me a big Pinterest board full of all the stuff that they like. Right. And I'm seeing a lot of the same colors there. I'm seeing a lot of sage green. Um, so that's where it starts is Pinterest. I think it starts on Pinterest and, you know, who's, <laughs> who's making those pins. I don't know. It could be, could be Europeans. It could be, um, I don't know. It could be aliens for all I know, but, uh, <laughs> Um, and then I think that, you know, magazines and TV shows like HGTV and even, you know, Instagram celebrities or influencers on Instagram, whatever they're sharing, whatever they're doing, uh, that really helps set the trends a lot too. It almost sounds like they're just kind of collecting an algorithm and that's what's being uh, put pushed to the forefront you know, the basically right. social media is controlling everything <laughs> the world <Yeah. laughs> what else is like everything else yeah exactly um when you said colors is it you, you mentioned mauve and sage green you know one of the things that was pretty predominant with the gray was really almost an institutional level feel I mean, mm -hmm. it got really cold for a yeah. while yeah. Uh, in design. Are they trying to just bring more color in in general, do you think? Or is it um, specific colors that are starting to trend? Do you, you see what I'm saying? Is it yeah, just yeah. any yeah. colors okay? We need more color into our des in, into uh, design in general. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say it's specific colors that are starting to trend. Like I'm not seeing yellow at all. Um, and I know, I remember growing up, my parents had their whole first level of their house painted a light yellow. So like that hasn't come back yet. Um, Let's hope that doesn't. I, I hope not either. <laughs> We're terrible. Switch to white from yellow right now. Oh, good. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan of, of white. Like I <clears throat> almost tell all my clients to paint their walls white. And then, you know, it gives you a blank slate to start with, and then we can go from there. Um, but anyway, I do, I do think it's specific colors. And I think those colors are based almost on a, like a rotating wheel of what was trendy. You know, people, my age have PTSD of yellow. So that's not going to be trendy for a while yet. Now, once my generation starts to hit like probably their sixties and their seventies and nobody listens to us anymore because we're old, then that color might start to come back because we've all kind of forgotten about how terrible it was. Um, that kind of seems to be the trend of what colors come in and out in my opinion. Oh, that's so, interesting. What you, what you just said um, about age. So 
can you break age groups into specific demographics for color trends? Does that have a lot to do with it? I think, well, I, I just, I want to, you know, burgundy and teal were the colors when I was growing up, like in the eighties, early nineties. I lived in the hood, it was burgundy, black and gold. Well, still there. (laughs) The, The point here is it has neither one of them colors have come back. And so what you're saying is a, a, a pretty interesting insight. Maybe when I'm 70. Yeah. Then they'll be back. And if if so, and I'm still shooting this podcast, I'm going to come on and say Emma was right. I was right. You have to bring me back for a guest, <laughs> a, a reappearance. <laughs> I love it. Interesting. So um, when you are selecting colors, do you like the permanent color so the wall colors and those kind of things you just said you kind of like more of a blank slate whether it's white or maybe a um um a light color in in some sort mm-hmm. then you start building around that with you know your flooring and your tile and your things like that what what do you do there what is the um what should we consider when we're working with someone and they have uh, a beautiful building residential or commercial uh you know their home or their office space um we have white walls or or light colored walls what what do you want to see in the flooring is it like do you want to contrast greatly or or does it is it more of a product of like what kind of facility it is as well um, yeah, I think that all of that goes into it. I think that even the, um, you know, in a house, at least the owner's opinion goes into it a little bit too. Um, there's not always necessarily a right or wrong answer because I mean, in my opinion, interior design is art and art is always subjective. What I like, you're not going to like, and what you like, Daniel's not going to like, you know? Um, so, th- but there's definitely some, th- some color theories that will tell you if something does not go together. And part of the reason I like to start with white walls is because, well, white obviously is bright. It feels clean. It feels um, open. It reflects light. So it makes your space feel bigger. And then I like to start there because we can kind of go any direction with our flooring, right? We could go black, brown. We could even go white or gray on the floors, or we could do a color. I mean, honestly, because it's open at that point to, to pretty much anything you want. Um, in my opinion, the thing that looks the best is having a higher contrast flooring with the white walls. If you do go white or light on the walls. Um, so anything like medium brown tones down to black is kind of the best fit in my opinion for that. Gotcha. Well, I love, I love the, um, when when you have really light walls and really dark floors it doesn't always work uh, we, yeah. we do a lot of dentist offices and putting lvt in their operatory areas uh we don't put dark because of all the spit and the toothpaste mm. and the stuff mm-hmm. just shows yeah. up everywhere all of a sudden right. so that's obviously where that's one of the things that a lot of designers don't think of and yeah. maybe they some do but not not all of them and those are just things that we we experience later on when someone's like, is there a better way to clean this floor? I'm constantly cleaning all the white toothpaste off or whatever. And you're like, well, maybe we shouldn't put dark walnut or black walnut. In Absolutely. Any, yeah. These spaces. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's funny because everyone thinks that white shows everything, right? But it's absolutely the other way around with floors, at least. Um, 
dark floors really do show everything. And I also think like, to your point, that's why it is helpful to have designers or architects or even flooring people who specialize in a certain field. Uh, because if you're doing, you know, churches or dentist office or vet clinics or daycares all day, you're going to have a lot more knowledge on exactly what products work best functionally and aesthetically for those types of spaces. When you work with uh, the, the your contractor or a flooring company or something, uh, let's use flooring. Do you enjoy, does it bother you at all when they bring product to you and say, this is what you should use? And then there's a color selection within that product line, or would you rather, we have found, uh, I'll, I probably need to qualify this question. We have found that sometimes uh, designers can be really stuck on their product, even if it may not be the right application. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I always leave it. I mean, I, if you as a flooring expert are willing to give me insight on what brand of flooring I should use, I am personally more than happy to hear you out on that because I cannot mentally keep track of the right brand of everything for every product that I'm selecting because I'm doing floors, trim, doors, windows, paint, you know, it goes on and then it goes into furniture too. Right. And there's a whole list of 250 other brands of furniture that I'm supposed to keep track of as well. And so if you as the flooring expert are willing to advise me on that, um, I am more than happy to hear, hear that out. That might be the architect in you. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> the reasonable part. Yeah. Um, I think that maybe a lot of the times des designers, you know, we are used to, having contractors or whoever it might be try to tell us the right way to do our job. And so that might be kind of where that comes from that you're experiencing that with designers sometimes, but, um, no, I am, I'm not that way. At least I like to think so. Yeah. Well, we've worked, I mean, we've had both ways where the designer really appreciated it. I was just curious if, uh, how you felt about that. And then, um, you know, obviously we used to have a design center and have tons of uh, designers come in and use it. It was similar concept from the size standpoint um, that you have, which is like, it wasn't, you know, some massive 30,000 foot showroom of tile. And, uh, but we were really selective of what goes in there. Um, but working with designers inside the uh, design center, as we called it, was that always tend to tended to uh, foster good uh, team atmosphere. It's when they have selected something on a set of drawings and we're like, that is not going to work in a shower room. It's LVT and it's glued down. That's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, just use it, you know, anyway. On to the next question before I stick my foot in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, uh, next question, and and this kind of tends to go a little bit more on the business side. How do you how do you bridge the gap between desire and budget when you're dealing with the client and they got a you know that that old saying a uh, you know what what is a champagne taste with a beer budget? Beer budget. Something? Yeah, <laughs> I hear that all the time. Um, I've never had anybody tell me they don't have a budget. Um, I've had people who won't 
give me a number and then it's not until I've picked stuff out that they say that that's not in their budget. And then, you know, that's obviously always frustrating because you're like, well, what is your budget? You know, that would have been good to know. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a challenge. M my biggest thing is I won't even look at stuff if I don't, if it's not in their budget. So as soon as they give me a number, if I know that, you know, we have $5 a square foot to spend on flooring, I will, cause I usually start my search online at least. Um, that's how I do it now. When it, when I have a showroom, that'll probably change, but, um, I will filter it by my price and I don't even look at anything that's not in my price point. Um, and so that kind of helps me to stay within their budget. Um, as far as quality goes, you know, if there is an item that I think is going to be better for them and it's not in their budget, I'll usually bring that to the clients and kind of let it be their call. You know, Hey, this is a dollar a square foot more. It's going to be a $2,000, um, you know, addition, but I really think it's worth it because it's going to last you another 15 years. It's not going to scratch as much and it's going to be better for your pets. Uh, something like that. So, so a lot of times when designers, um, one of the challenges is when homeowners find something on Pinterest and say, this is what I, and they fall in love with it. I yeah. mean, I've literally had it happen where they absolutely fall in love with it. And they're like, well, where else can we cut to yeah, get this to get in it. the budget? Yeah. No, so I've that, got, yeah. I've got some clients that are um, kind of doing that right now. I mean, they're, they bought a hundred year old house in, right, right on the river and they want to add on a full glass wall on the back of the house so that they can see their view. And that's like the mantra of their project. They need to do that. Now they also need to gut and remodel the rest of the house because it's a hundred years old, but you know, that's like the glass is going to happen one way or another, even if the rest of the house has to have, um, 50 cent carpet throughout, you know, but that's yeah. kind of what the whole, the, the most important part of the project is. And so I think that being able to figure that out too, with your clients is really key. Um, being able to find out what, where their priorities lie. And I always say that usually the, the spaces that you're going to spend the most time in your kitchen, your living room, uh, maybe the primary bedroom, those are probably going to be your main spaces. And then let's start there. And then we can cut in other spots if we need to. Awesome. Guys, what's your thoughts on budget? What, your, what have you had to kind of mental gymnastics have you guys had to do to, I think it's to less the gap. I think it's less the material for us than it is the overall package because mm -hmm. people have a, I don't know where they get the dollar amount in their mind, but it's like, oh, I thought this was going to be like $5 a square foot. It's like material is $5 a square foot these days. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you want us to remove and install everything. Mm -hmm. Do you guys ever run across um, as you're working through a project and, and, and interior designer or not, do you ever run across where your client gets really honed in on a certain product and you have to figure out other products for other areas to reduce costs to make that product fit in? We, we do our very best to conform to their changes that they're trying to have. Right. But if uh, I'll be honest, if, if it's, if we're not working through a designer and when I'm talking to a client, I'm, I'm very direct. I, I try to, it's like, Hey, look, I understand you really want to make that change, but I, but I'm letting you know, like if, if I know it's going to fail, it's not going to perform, 
then I, I'm, I'm really have no interest in doing it, uh, to be honest with you. And I mean, that, that's the short version of it, right? Usually we go down a conversation and, and I, I drop it very lightly and I say, well, these are the potential downfalls. Um, as far as working with a designer or through a designer, um, we do have the luxury of being at the forefront of some of that and, and giving her our, or them our, our worries uh, on some of the products. Um, and then, and then they usually narrow it down, but that's an individual designer. But if we're working with a design firm, that's a lot harder to do, especially that's more of the commercial world than it is the residential world. Um, they don't like to hear that their selections are wrong yeah. at all. Um, but well, maybe that's part of the key is the um, independent designer. That's that's a good insight as well. Is yeah, uh, we you know when I get outside my comfort zone, I, I reach out to the designers that I know and try to get somebody on board because I may be an expert in the flooring product itself, but how it ties in with all the other elements in a building, I'm I'm not I'm not a designer. Uh, so that's where people like Emma come in to save yeah. the day a lot of times. Um, I guess uh, from when we're talking about you know, color and design, you have an architect background or degree. Uh, how much has that influenced the way that you approach these things? Yeah, masters. And man, so uh, what what kind of things uh, in your architectural um, uh, from that degree, does that influence your design? Because you do floor plans and things like that as well, you said. So obviously that's going to be derived from the architectural side of you. Yeah. Uh, it's really intriguing to me that you have both sides. So I'm curious when you, when you start selecting your, your products that you're going to utilize, does that, Im I mean, it seems like it would influence the way that you do your selections, not just for color. You may be an outlier, I guess is what I'm saying, where you, yeah. you consider how it's going to be used as opposed to just what looks pretty. Yeah. Um, so in architecture school, they, I think there was one class maybe on finishes. So there's not a whole lot of focus on it, but the one class that there is on finishes is all about um, functionality. It's not really got anything to do with color. And so it definitely helped me um, a little bit to kind of just take those other items into consideration. Um, they're really good about teaching you that in interior design school as well, that, you know, we're not all just looking at color. We have to make sure that the product is going to hold up and that it's going to function the way that the client needs it to. Um, I would say the biggest thing that the architecture degree did for me is it opened up my knowledge into commercial design a lot more. Um, really when you do interior design school, the focus is on homes and then switching over to architecture school, it's it's on commercial design. Right. And so, um, I don't know if it changed a whole lot about how I think about the functionality of products, but it definitely added a lot to my knowledge, uh, for codes and ADA and all of that. And that all goes into selecting product as well. I mean, not a lot of people know that there's a, uh, coefficient of friction that you need to maintain on your tile if it's going into an ADA bathroom um, or just a commercial bathroom in general. So um, it definitely did 
add to my knowledge base. And I'm, I'm very helpful for that because it makes me sound really smart. If I'm able to spitball stuff out, I remember <laughs> yeah. one time I was working with a guy and he, we were doing a therapy clinic and, you know, he texted me two pictures of doorknobs and he's like, which doorknob should I pick? And one of them was one of the traditional round where you twist it. And one of them was more of the lever kind of doorknob. And I just respond, and you know, he wanted my opinion on looks and I responded and I said, you have to do the um, lever knob because you have to be to code. And part of ADA code is that somebody without a hand has to be able to open that door. So you have to be able to open it with your elbow if you don't have hands. And mm -hmm. he was just like, whoa, that's, I would have <laughs> never thought about that. And I'm like, yeah, well. I never thought about that. And we work in hospitals all the time. Yep. <laughs> so well everybody yeah. just learned something now you'll start paying attention i bet you'll see it a lot more so there you go so so you, you're saying that that your your background with your degree helps a little bit with the engineering process as well so that yeah. you can have an idea of this might be feasible or this is way out of line or with the budget you submitted to me i can tell you yeah. that we're going to open up this can of worms yeah that exactly. helps. yep it does well and it helps that you uh are creative but it's almost like your creative second yeah like you're 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 analytical and math driven first and so that probably helps a lot because i i uh i love all my designers so this isn't you know but even though they're taught just like you said in design school that functionality is important um i i have found that um you know, a fair number can get really hung up on a certain color, like that color, if I cannot get it switched over to a different brand and it keep all the same design, look, color, like they don't want to look at it and it's, they get really stuck on that piece of it. Um, I'm working on a project right now where, you know, it's, a, it's over budget. And so we're getting creative with some of the product selections and trying to uh, cross over an LVT that is pretty unique to that brand and style. And so I can't find the something that's like almost the exact same. And it is it is a struggle. We are struggling to yeah. to get that. Someone has to move like the budget's not going to move it's been clear they're not going to spend any more money right. and I've got to switch this out to be able to have any uh, hope of hitting the budget. So in that realm, it's like, please like come my direction yeah, a little bit. You got to give a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So that's why that question yeah. came up earlier, actually the, the, the gap between the budget and the uh, you know, the design and, and how you like work through that because we, we, definitely have those scenarios come up fairly often a uh, few several times a year at least where you know we're stuck almost between a rock and a hard place so yeah, yeah we were on a project a few years ago where this um she was actually at maybe she wasn't the designer i forget what she did but uh she, she was selecting like, the colors it sounds like uh, she really really <laughs> wanted a bamboo floor and it wasn't in the budget. So they went with an engineered like 
pine looking floor. So it had it was real knotty and had a lot of dark planks. Oh no, and she then, was a designer. That's right. I know what you're talking you, about. After we got everything done, it was always don't like this over here. Don't like this board. Don't like this board. And it's like <sighs> she was a designer. Actually, she's a designer for a very large firm. Um, she does a lot of uh, spec designs okay. for her companies, and she selected a material that the variation in the in the boards was all over the place. Right, it was different sizes. Like it was a it was a wood floor, and instead of saying what she didn't like at the beginning, she waited till everything was installed. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, it, this well, kind of leads me to um, kind of my final question for you, Emma, which is, you know. It was a uh, touched on a little bit earlier, but what are the keys to success in your mind when dealing in these scenarios where you're dealing with other people, you're dealing with a team? You talked about finding a good contractor, but a lot of times uh, you're kind of in a luxury position uh, in the low bid world of commercial building where uh, you never know who the GC uh, is going to be until the bid is over and and you get told that, oh, guess what? XYZ GC's the 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 builder, uh, and they have their team that they've assembled of low bidders. And <laughs> so, but working in those scenarios, when you're working with teams and just what the guys just brought up with, um, Jose was just talking about where he's trying to, uh, you know, be proactive or he wishes that that would have been proactive. We all have our frustrations with, you know, working within a team, but what are some of the keys to success that, that you've found in your relationship with, uh, say, this uh, current builder you're working with? What what makes it work so well? Not just this quality. There's got to be some other things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that this one's a cliche, but honestly, communication is 95% of this job. And I'm sure you guys know that. But mm -hmm. even if something does go wrong, because because no, not even if, when something goes wrong, because it always does. There you go. Um, if you can communicate it upfront and effectively and be professional about it and catch it in time and you can communicate that to your client, you'll actually find that most of the time they're not that upset about it. I mean, people aren't usually upset about something going wrong. They're upset that they were not told or that they were not asked. Um, so for example, I was on a project and the contractor said they were going to move a wall. Nobody told me, nobody told the client, they just moved it. And you know, their excuse was, oh, well, we needed to move it because the plumbing, something about the plumbing line. And I said, okay, well, that you should have at least run it by the client. I'm like, even if you don't want to run it by me, of course, I would have liked to have had it run by me, but you need to at least tell the homeowner. Again, they wouldn't have been upset about it because they had to do it, um, just being able to communicate that. Um, and then, you know, I think communication of timeline and budget is also huge, uh, putting forward the right expectations, making sure your clients know what to expect. Again, they're not going to be upset if you tell them it's going to take me six months, but you got to tell them up front and that way they, they have that expectation in mind. Um, so I think that that's really the reason that, uh, my contractor who I use, uh, works so well with me, um, is because we're, we're pretty good about communicating with one another. I probably talk to him 15 times a day. Um, we're on the phone probably every 30 minutes, just different project, or I'm asking him a question about something. Um, and again, that's just to eliminate as much error as we can 
Uh, well, that goes even past like co communication. I just want to point out that that's embracing almost communicate, like really embracing communication. Yeah. Um, what you said earlier about the wall being moved, I would imagine that part of the um, frustration can come that they had no say in it. Like maybe they would have wanted the wall moved a little further. Right. Or, exactly. you know what I mean? Like if the wall had to move, me as the homeowner, maybe I want to make sure the wall moves where I want it if it has to. Yeah. So giving options and communicating exactly uh, sound like those go hand in hand. Yeah. And then just the respect of, you know, knowing that you're not, it's not your house or it's not your building. It is somebody else's money. It's somebody else's project. It's somebody else's. Um, a lot of the time when we're doing homes, it's somebody's dream that they've been saving for, for 10, 15 years. And preach, please preach. Yeah, I know. And I think it's, I think it's disrespectful to just decide, Oh, I'm going to move a wall because I do this every day and I know it's best. Well, that's fine, but you know, you're, it's not your house, so it's not your choice. And I think that's what it comes down to is just having respect ultimately for your clients. And then for me, for my general contractor and my general contractor should do the same for me. So well, something like that can change the entire look of a space. Um, yeah. You know, like if if everything was structured around that wall because it was breaking up a sight line, I get it. Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, that was probably something that should have been caught on the on the initial uh, walkthrough or when we were drawing the floor plans, um, but it wasn't. And it did. It, it ended up affecting the bathroom. They ended up losing some storage in the bathroom that they would have liked to have had. Obviously, it's not the end of the world. Um, and thankfully, they were very reasonable clients and they were aware that it wasn't the end of the world, but in some cases that could have been a, a bigger mess than it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. we've had a lot of communicate or a lot of podcasts um, that end up with that word coming up. Like yeah. it's almost universal. We'll be talking about something or have a whole uh, topic on something. And then it comes back to communication is key. And mm -hmm. Uh, so I can't, you know, bring that up again for our audience is that when you're dealing with clients and you're dealing with your general contractor as a installer, or you're dealing with a store, or you're dealing with, you know, architects or designers, communication, both good or bad, timely communication yeah. um, is kind of the key. Uh, it's a struggle. I mean, we we have to work with our team. Uh, you know, our our leadership. Uh, has to work with our team all the time to really make sure that communication is uh, fostered as a positive. It, it seems like, um, you know, if you don't embrace it the way you guys have with, you know, your, your uh, GC that you're working with, or like, I know that Daniel and Jose are huge on communication. Um, you know, that's what we preach our to our project managers and our estimators is like, if we're not gonna bid a job that we've been invited to, we need to let the client know we're not bidding this job, like right. as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, or on the project management side, if something goes wrong and the material gets delayed, it's better to call and say, hey, this material got delayed mm -hmm. as soon as possible. Um, again, that's giving some options to the designer and to the uh, end user to maybe switch product um yeah you wait until it's on a boat coming from korea and you cannot return it then they're stuck with that but they're worse off they're stuck with that timeline 
that right. may not work for them. So that communication, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, that yeah. Is, that is uh, paramount in most things. So I think too, like, um, you know, you present a problem when it comes up and I kind of decide if that is worth sharing with my client. Usually I'll kind of judge if it's something that they need to be told about. But if I do bring up a problem to them, I'm always pairing it with a solution. So I had chairs that were delayed for a client. They needed them in their house because they were going to have house guests and they were going to have dinners and they needed their dining chairs. And so I was texting her on a Saturday and she asked where they were. And I said, they're still not here. I know your house guests arrive on Tuesday. I am so sorry about this. I will go to, uh, I don't remember where I suggested going. I will go get you some chairs and they will be in your house by Tuesday. You, they will go with your house. They will go with the design style that we, that we have going your client or your guests can use them while they're at your house. And then I will pick them up and I will return them afterwards. And she responded, she was like, wow, that's an amazing answer or something. And, you know, just being, being able to present that solution as well is, is really important. It's crazy how they go from super angry about yeah. something. To, wow. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think I caught her off guard. Cause I think she was just expecting me to say, you know, they're not here. Sorry, deal with it. And I know that in flooring, that's, that's a lot different. You can't put a flooring in and then. Well, I was actually all the time. bring up, yeah. all I was going to ask these guys, how often have you put in temporary uh, carpet oh. or something so that or the facility could get open, but then. Yeah have to go back and and replace it when the materials finally get in it's not even opening sometimes it's hey we have inspections we need this down right now yeah and it's like well i got something at the warehouse let's just throw something in real quick i had to do a carpet in a movie theater in iowa (laughs) so driving down there to install a temporary to come back home and wait for a phone call wow yeah we've installed um in fact we have several pallets of product and and different um uh, of different various products just for that like okay put this cheap carpet tile in for a couple of weeks until their actual carpet comes in uh keep it in the neutral easy that's another reason good for us to understand kind of design and colors coming down the pipe is we try to keep a little bit of product that we can throw in pull up repalletize for the next time uh okay. and use it in temporary manners uh we we have to do that fairly often honestly and That's crazy and with carpet tile or with uh, a walk-off carpet uh specifically if it's like a walk-off system like a pedamat or something like that i cannot tell you how many times these are all custom built for the vestibule uh that we put in walk-off carpet in a temporary manner until the 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 mat comes in and it could be three four or five months sometimes before they get to fabricating it making it and sending it to you wow. um, unfortunately we had a car dealership we just uh just got it in but it took almost four months for that uh product to get made and we had to put temporary carpet in um and we had to be cognizant of the facility so yeah, we we have to do that sometimes too. <laughs> wow, crazy. I had no idea. Okay, good to know. All right, well, we're nearing the end here, guys. You got anybody uh, commenting? Or that has something here. He says that um, when he's working for a contractor and he's installing an expensive carpet and the designer wants him to do it, so this is the designer working for the contractor. 
but he charges a lot more than he already got quoted, then, you know, they always have to call him back to do repairs. But I think that's different though, right? Because if who's in charge of the project, the contractor or the designer, because when we're working with designers, it's always the designer that's in charge of it. And it's always, what do you charge? It's yeah. never the contractor saying that's too much. Yeah. Like, yeah. It how do you handle that as a designer? Um, so with my contractor who I'm working with right now, uh, the understanding is sort of whoever's client it was first, that's who kind of heads up the project, if that makes sense. So if it was my marketing efforts that got me the client, then it's kind of my project and vice versa. Um, so if but, you bring him in or he brought you in. Exactly. Yeah. Whoever, whoever brought the other one in, that's kind of who is in charge of the project. Now there's, there's phases and we have our systems worked out where, I'm ordering, you know, materials X, Y, and Z, and he's ordering B, C, and D. Um, so obviously if he orders in a product and it comes in wrong or it's the wrong color, it's the wrong budget, whatever that might be, um, that's hit on him. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's definitely a tricky, tricky one. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, can I, I should have named this, uh, or the title of this podcast, um, working with the design team and architects because i yeah. think that's what it's turned well, into but it's it's it great information because so many of us have to you know have these relationships and work through uh issues um so having your insights been been awesome yeah thank you guys you. got you guys got any uh final question. questions one before question. we close her down easy one easy one so if i wanted to stock some material on my shelf and be ready for a designer what is a good trending material to have ready for residential? Let's just say residential because commercial is its own beast. For yeah. residential, what is a what is a good material to have ready uh, ready to rock? And, and is this stock? like a hard surface or soft surface? Let's just call it. In general, in general. Let's, let's so I'm not. Like a, I'm not doing a lot of carpet right now at all. So if that answers that question a little bit, um, I mean, I've other than staircases, I really don't do much carpet at all. Um, I would say vinyl flooring is kind of the new thing. Um, I see a lot of people getting away from um, or uh, laminate. I'm sorry, they're getting a little bit further away from LVP. Um, and I see a lot more laminate flooring going in now. Um, and so I would say just like a medium colored laminate floor, you know, the wood look laminate floor. Something uh, in the taupey grays or <laughs> brown. beigey brown. I'd say brown. Yeah, I would not do it. I would not go gray. Um, I just think it's not, I don't think it's going to be around much longer. I, I think it's already on its way out. And I don't think that we're going to see that resurgence for Probably years. 80 years. <laughs> so years. hopefully I would say well, for all those people out there that have a gray house, the good thing is gray's not burgundy or teal or one no. of these. Really and what I always say about color is if you like it, then that is the what should be in your house. I don't it doesn't matter if it's a trend, it doesn't matter if I like it. If you like it, then uh great, you know. It's your house. Well, that's uh, they're the ones who pay the bill, so yeah. I, I think that's a good approach. And right. I'm just gonna right. well, shout out to Jorge and Kevin for actually commenting today. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Jorge. Thanks, guys. Uh, there's a couple of our uh, really, really high end uh, installer guys that join our podcast every week. They're great dudes. We got to hang out with them 
again a couple of weeks ago. So shout out to Jorge and and uh, appreciate yeah. your comments. Well, I, I want to thank you, Emma, for coming on today and, and yeah. just kind of rapping with us about design and, and your approach to business. Um, again, congratulations on your new digs coming up yeah, and uh, all the success that you're having. Uh, yeah. Keep up the good work and hopefully we get to work together in the future. And uh, yeah, that's so with great. that, guys, you got anything left? No, that's it. Thank you for letting I, us know right away that you're smarter than us with your master's degree. We appreciate, <laughs> we appreciate that. So that Paul, Paul said brag on myself. So uh, That's right. That's great. And that's, that's when I when I go to, you know, when I'm looking at projects, they always ask me, does this look good over here? Does this look good over here? And my answer is always, I'm not a designer because I don't want to have my hand in that and then they don't like it. Then it's my fault. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Shoot me a text next time that happens. I'll help them. Video. Well, there you go. There you go. I'll shoot you a text and then the invoice is in the mail the next day, probably. That's that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's all good. <laughs> you just yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. It's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit more and uh understanding your approach here. Uh, particularly the way you approach business, honestly. I, I it's impressive and I'm I'm glad that you're having some success with finding a good team to work with you and growing your team. So thank you. Gentlemen, as always, I appreciate you and the staples of the huddle. And with that, I am going to close it up. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. And again, a uh, quick reminder, hit that like and subscribe. Give us a comment and uh, let us know what you'd like for us to talk about, guests you'd like for us to bring on. And I'm sure we'll have Emma on again in the future. So with that, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, have a good Bye. one. All right. Thank you.